everyone. Welcome to episode 254 of Greater Than Code. I am Artie Starr, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Mandy Moore. Hey, everyone. It's Mandy Moore, and I'm here with our guest today, Danielle Thompson. Danielle is a newly minted software engineer working in the education technology sphere of the nonprofit world. After making a major career change from working in hospitality and events for many years, as a code school graduate herself, she loves to help demystify tech for others with non-traditional backgrounds and works to open doors into tech with her friends at Code School Q&A weekly on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific at Twitch TV slash The Jonin Show. Outside of work, she can typically be found with a nose buried in a book, hanging out with her doggo, and making delicious craft beverages. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me, Mandy and Artie. Awesome. It's great for you to be here. So before we get into the meat of our conversation, we always ask our guests the standard question of what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? Totally. I think that my superpower is a combination of empathy and communication. Uh, I think I came by both pretty naturally, um, popped right out of my mom having both, I'm assuming, (laughs) but both have definitely been amplified over the years by all sorts of experiences and hardships and, you know, just keep working to make them even more of a superpower. That's really great. So I want to know about before we dive into your experience as a new developer, I wanted to know about how you came into technology from your career change in hospitality, because I did the same thing. I was a waitress when my daughter was born 10 years ago, and I was working for about a year before I was able to walk out. It was Mother's Day. My boss was being a complete jerk to me. And I was making enough money at that point that I just said, you know what? I don't need this. I quit. And I started my career in tech full time. So I'm curious about your journey as well. Yeah, I I mean, obviously, COVID has happened in the last couple of years. And that was uh, one of the major factors in me getting to this point of, you know, leaving hospitality and getting into tech. But I had already kind of been thinking about what comes next. I'd been a manager uh, for a few years and was, you know, trying to figure out how else I could grow and, and what new things I could learn and challenge myself with. And outside of ownership, uh, which is a major headache, there wasn't really much that I could push further into within hospitality. So when COVID happened and I lost my job because I was working as uh, an events and bar manager for a local catering company, uh, it was pretty obvious that things were not going to be coming back for the hospitality industry anytime soon. And I needed to figure something else out then. Uh, and so I started looking into different returning to education opportunities because I actually have an anthropology degree of all helpful things that I could have gotten a degree in. (laughs) But I found a code school in Portland, Oregon and jumped on that within a few months of COVID hitting and did the full-time track and connected with a number of my cohort mates that we started doing the Code School Q&A on Twitch with the Director of Developer Relations at New Relic and have been doing that 
for almost a year now and have officially, you know, made it in the industry as a, as a software developer too, in the last few months. And, and yeah, so you can do it. You can get into tech. <laughs> it's pretty funny too, because the type of job that I ended up getting is in the education and technology sphere. And I actually had a job in ed tech about a decade ago, uh, when I was still in college and had like a remote job working with some family friends that got me hooked up with their company. And here I am doing something a little bit more in depth technically than that I was doing a decade ago. But it's funny how things come full circle. Well, education in particular is something that also really needs some reinvention and, you know, innovation and with all the disruption. Where, where do you see that area going? Just curious. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that a lot of the changes that we've seen in COVID with remote work being such a prominent thing now and people wanting more balance, more time with their family, more time with their critters, more time, like just not being miserable in commutes and stuff. I think that that's going to have a really long term effect on how education happens and trying to make education more quality, you know, as well. And I think it's, it's really rad what the company I do works for. Our whole mission is to work to make education in America more equitable. So, you know, we do that by working very hard to work with experts in the curriculum sphere that ensure that our curriculum materials are as inclusive and culturally relevant as possible, uh, that they are representative of a large and diverse group of people. And they even do a ton of anti-racism work as well and work to embed that within our internal and external culture, as well as the products that we create. So I hope that our company will continue to grow and make changes in the education world in America in general, because I think what we're doing is really, really, really important. Definitely important. And with all the you know change and stuff happening, I'm expecting some new and cool and exciting things that do make things better. It's one of the upsides of lots of disruption is it's an opportunity for us to sit back and kind of rethink how things could be. And one of the benefits of not being entrenched in the existing fields of the way things have been is it's also an opportunity to look at all the stuff we're doing with, with a fresh set of eyes from outside of that existing world and, and bring some, some new, you know, fresh insights to tech. And yeah, maybe the anthropology degree, you know, will come in handy in some different sorts of ways. You know, I like, I imagine, you know, some of those skills that you learned in that have some applicability in, in tech as well. Have you, have you found your degree helpful in other ways? You know, it's funny. I think I ended up using my anthropology degree as a bartender, um, far more than I ever would have as an actual anthropologist. And, you know, like that whole study of humans thing is something that is directly translatable to working with people, no matter what field you're in. And I feel that both my anthropology degree and my many years of hospitality experience have all led to a specific skill set that like is 
very different from a lot of people that come into tech with more traditional backgrounds, you know, especially like folks that go to college and get computer science degrees and then they go to the tech industry and like that's all they've ever known. I've known so many other experiences outside of that and my ability to think about what other people need and want and to be able to respond to that and embed that in, you know, all of the work that I do as an engineer to really be thinking about the user and the people that like are interacting with whatever I'm building. And even just, you know, thinking about working on a team and how I have so many communication skills built up from what I've been doing for work in hospitality for many years. I think that it definitely gives me a very specific and, and unique way of moving through the world and, and way of being an engineer as well. And yeah, that anthropologist hat definitely comes into play sometimes thinking about like, oh, like how do, how do all of these dots connect? And like, how does this change over time? And how do you see people like doing things differently now? It's, it's uh, definitely a fun lens to carry with me. Yeah, having been in hospitality, I'm just like shaking my head because uh-huh. it, <laughs> I know I've brought so many skills from being in that world for 10, 15 years at one point. Yep just the way you talk to people and interact with teams and anticipate what other people need before they even know what they need. It's definitely a skill. Yeah, definitely. I I think that whole like anticipating needs thing too. It's like, it can be both an internal and external benefit where like you can think both about who you're building products for and also who you're building products with. And, you know, how best to communicate within teams, especially having management experience that is definitely at the forefront of my brain a lot of the time. But then also thinking about, like, how can I make the best experience for somebody else that's actually going to be using this? How can I make this easy and intuitive and fun, especially within education? Like, you have to make sure that things are fun and interesting, you know, targeting kids that are like K through 12. Like, it has to be meaningful and impactful and interesting and engaging. So how do you do that? What are some ways that you and your company make education fun for young kids? You know, I think I'm still figuring that out. We have many curriculum products that like I'm still just touching for the first time or haven't even looked at yet. And so there's lots of of fun new things to discover. But I think the, the types of people that we bring on to work at my company, they're all experts in their field and renowned for the work that they do. And so I think that, you know, the quality of people that we bring into work with us and and the kind of commitment that they have to work towards making education better and, you know, more inclusive, I think that that is incredibly important and, and how they also do an immense amount of work to make not just inclusivity, a part of the major formula, but also that they work to make things culturally relevant. So, you know, like thinking about how to tell stories to kids that actually mean something to them today, you know, like, I don't know, like a weird example is thinking about like, some outdated curriculum that's talking about using a landline for a phone or something. Kids are like, what, what's that? You know, like, actually, like integrating modern things like cell phones and, you know, things like that into the curriculum where like kids actually touch that and use that every single day. So it means something to them. Whereas like, you know, outdated curriculum that like is just some story to them doesn't have tangible meaning and being able to bring that into 
materials is is really important to keeping things engaging and also like relevant and and fun and yeah so now like the time when little tommy was walking to the xerox machine <laughs> yes yes somebody brought up a xerox machine the other day oh, and wow. i was like my goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely but yeah i think it's it's just a a constant like looking at how we do things and and making improvements and and making real connection with the people that are actually using our products too so that both means like working with teachers and getting a better understanding of what is helpful to them, what makes things easier for them, what helps them bring better quality curriculum to their classrooms. But then I think it's also like connecting more directly with those kids that are like engaging with our curriculum too and figuring out what works and doesn't work for, you know, as many parties as possible. I think that's kind of like that anthropologist hat coming on again. Like how can we bring as many people to the table as possible on the expert side, on the academic side, on the teacher side, on the student side, and, and even like working to bring families to the table too. And looking at how families interact and not just, not just parents, because it's really important to know that like, Kids don't have just parents that are taking care of them. Sometimes it's grandparents, sometimes it's foster families. And, you know, really like thinking about a wider range of who is around these kids and how to get them on board and make things easy for them to interact. It seems like getting into tech and these new tech skills that you've learned are also relevant in figuring out how to teach kids tech because we've got this new generation of kids coming into the world and learning how to code becomes more like learning how to read and write as fundamental skills we you know move forward in the future are there ways that some of the things that you've learned through your own tech experiences you can see application for in education absolutely i i mean from what I've seen, I've been seeing, I feel like there are a lot more resources out there for teaching kids how to code and teaching them more things about technology. I think that's amazing and should totally keep happening. I think having been a bit more focused on adults in, in my own outreach for like helping people find their ways into tech, I think I might be a bit more acquainted with like reaching out to those folks, but I'm sure that that intersection of being in education for K through 12 students and this passion that I have of helping people to find their way into tech or, you know, build more technical skills because they are skills that are so transferable uh, in many industries. I'm like, I'm technically like, you know, I'm in education, but I have a technical job. So there's lots of ways that, you know, those technical skills can be incredibly valuable and, and frankly, life-changing. I mean, the, the amount of opportunity and even just financial stability that can be found within tech is, you know, one of the main reasons that brought me to this industry and has really been 
a life-changing opportunity. It has opened so many doors already. And I've just like three months into my first developer job. And, you know, even before I was ever actually officially an engineer, I was able to find community and able to find an outlet for helping others and, and outreach to, you know, immediately turn around and hold a hand out to try to help others make their way into tech as well. And I hope to continue doing that work in more meaningful and impactful ways over time and have wider and wider reach as well. You had mentioned earlier about some of the difficulties of getting into tech and, you know, some of the challenges with finding resources and things that you're specifically missing when you actually showed up on the job. I'm curious, what was your experience like going through coding bootcamp and what were some of the gaps that you experienced that like, once you got on the job, you're like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't learn that. Yeah, definitely. Coding bootcamp was an incredibly grueling experience for me personally. Uh, I was on a full-time track, six-month program, and not having much technical experience whatsoever outside of editing my MySpace profile back when that was a thing and uh, <laughs> having, you know, about a decade ago, um, doing some basic HTML, CSS editing for and maintenance for the company that I worked for in EdTech originally. That was what I was working with when I started coding bootcamp. So it was a real hard learning curve and a very fast paced program for me to just dive into head first. My poor partner was like, I basically didn't see you for like six months. Um, you were just, you know, a, a basement dweller, like in at your computer constantly. And I would literally like get out of bed, roll myself downstairs, get to my computer with a cup of tea in hand. And I would stay there until easily 10, 11, 12, 1 every night, just trying to keep my head above water. But a few months in, things started to click and I wasn't fighting with all of these, you know, computer puzzles, uh, like, you know, trying to do this. Like, I, I always feel like learning coding languages is kind of like a combination of algebra and a foreign language. And so, you know, at a certain point, my brain just started getting into that better and things started making sense. And that was a very exciting moment where I got much less miserable in my code school experience, it, just in the pace at which I had to move to keep my grades up and everything. But, you know, the gap in between finishing code school and actually getting that first job is also another often grueling process. You know, there's so many jobs open in the tech industry, but basically it's like mid-level and above. It's like, I think two thirds of the industry positions that are available are for like mid to senior roles versus like one third of roles that are like for juniors associates. And so that is a big struggle, especially if you're not able to lean into community and building real connections, you know, just sending applications out to the ether and never even hearing a peep back from companies. I think like that whole experience is it's really hard for your self esteem, you know, having especially like having put in many months around the clock of work towards this new career that you've been told that you can get that you can achieve. And it's 
almost as much of a process getting that first developer job as it is to actually build those tech skills. And I think one thing that is so important to stress in that in-between time is to lean into community, to connect with as many people as you can that are already in tech. Even if they don't exactly have a developer job, like talk to anybody that will let you talk to them, you know, talk to people in QA, talk to developers, talk to managers, talk to project managers. That was one of the things that I felt I needed to do early on in my coding experience to really have a better understanding of what was even an option for me of getting into tech and like, what could all these different jobs look like? And then making that transition to actually getting the first job, yay, hooray for first jobs and being employed again. But I think one of the the things that has been most striking in that change for me is going from this incredibly grueling pace, you know, eight in the morning or so until 10 plus at night, nonstop coding for the most part, and then going to like a nine to five job where I can also kind of make my own hours and I can take appointments as I need to, like, I can like go and get a haircut if that's, you know, something on my schedule. And like, it's cool as long as I'm getting my work done and showing up and contributing to my team, like things are fine. And, and so that transition of like, wait, I don't have to be at my computer a thousand percent of the time. Uh, <laughs> like, and, and the, the, the pace at which you learn things too is, is just much slower because you can have balance. And so that, that transition of like feeling like you're not doing enough because you're so used to this hefty schedule. That's been a major transition for me. I think also coming from hospitality too, you know, where like you have to be there in person and like oftentimes like somebody's going to call out sick at least every other week or so. So you might be working like a shift and a half or a double and, you know, there, there isn't a lot of balance in the service industry, uh, especially now with COVID adding so many extra layers of complication to how that job works being able to just be like, I need to go make a doctor's appointment and can just do that. And it's like, okay, cool. Just put it on the calendar. You don't really need to tell me like, as long as it's on the calendar, that's great. <laughs> that transition has also been very strange. And I think maybe just like the, the trauma of <laughs> working in hospitality and, and not being able to just be a human sometimes. And, and now all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I'm a human and that's allowed. Okay still have to like check in with my boss frequently about like, you sure it's okay? You, you sure it's okay that I'm a human, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the things that I really loved coming into tech was the schedule, the scheduling, open schedule, making my own hours. Yeah. And, and you're right. It was very strange at first. I mean, when I was waitressing, it was just always a go, go, go kind of thing. And you had to be there. You had to be on. And if you didn't have tables, if you had time to lean, you had time to clean. You yes. know? <laughs> always be closing, you know, always ABCs. <laughs> so, so, yeah, sometimes I still find myself like on a random Thursday and I'll have like my work done and I'll just be like sitting here and I'm like, why are you sitting at your computer? Like, go do something, then check it. And if there's stuff there, like you don't have to have your ass in the seat from nine to five or eight to four. Like you don't have to sit here for eight hours and just 
stare at your inbox waiting for work. Like it's totally asynchronous and it's totally okay. Like I find myself having to give myself permission to leave my desk and just go and do something and work that asynchronous schedule. So tech is a a really big blessing when it comes to that. I totally agree. I think also like not being neurotypical myself, like I have ADHD. And so like being able to actually allow my brain to work in the way that is best for how my brain just naturally operates. Like I can sit at my desk and like fidget constantly and it's not going to bother anybody because I work from home (laughs) or I can, you know, shift between sitting and standing and sitting on my bed, like sitting on my stool and like just move at my desk as much as I need to. I can also like step away and go clean some dishes if like that's what's making noise in my brain. And I can go and take my dog on a walk and get some fresh air. And that whole shift of having balance and and being able to be empowered to advocate for what I need and how I learn. And people are like, yeah, cool, let's do that. I, I think that's also very much a part of like the company that I work for and and the ethos that we have, which is, you know, all about making education better. So why wouldn't that also translate to the staff? And how can we help you learn? Like, it's such a wonderful thing to be a part of a team that's like super invested in how I learn and helping me learn. You know, and I think another thing that was a, a big strange thing about my transition into tech was I ended up getting a junior engineer role in a tech stack that I hadn't worked with, which, you know, is pretty common from what I've heard from like mid engineer on, because once you have, you know, some of the foundational building blocks of a handful of programming languages and some of those computer science foundations, like you can pick up most programming languages, but it's not so common as a junior engineer to get that opportunity to work with a full tech stack that you haven't really worked with before. So that was another big transition of like, all right, you trust me, time to figure this out. So it sounds like you walked into another big learning curve with your new job too. It sounds like you were also in a much more supportive culture environment with respect to learning and things too. What was the ramp up experience like at your new company? In some ways, I still kind of feel like I'm in ramp up mode. I mean, I'm about three months in, but because we have so much of our product that is built around very specific curriculum components that has very specific contextual knowledge, it's just going to be a process to like figure out which projects have what information and, you know, have certain numbers of records and are tied to certain standards that are required in like in different states and uh, for common core versus for some of the states that we work with what that looks like. But figuring out a whole new tech stack was and continues to be a very interesting challenge. Like I have to remind myself like when I have gaps in my knowledge that it's actually okay to switch gears back into learning mode, that that is a thing that's supported and and encouraged even. So I I even have little like sticky notes on my desk that say like, start with what you know, not what you don't know. And and that tension of when I reach the end of what I know, and then going and finding maybe not necessarily the right or correct resources, because there's so much out there that's good, that can be helpful. I think it's more about finding something that 
does work with how my brain learns things and being cognizant of how I learn, but also remembering to dig into, you know, that fate that is being a developer, which is constant learning and ever growing evolution of how we do things and what things we do within the sphere of the developer. So I've signed up for perpetual learning and that's pretty great. What are your favorite resources that you used and continue to use as you're still learning and finding community and things like that? Yeah, I have certainly continued to lean on the curriculum for my school. It's online and it's free and that's rad. It's learnhowtoprogram.com. Uh, it's all put on online from Epicotus um, in the Portland area. Anybody can access it and that's wonderful. I'm a big fan of really great resources being available for free and, and making that more accessible. So continuing to use platforms that have that kind of ethos in mind is is pretty great in my opinion. Reading the documentation is another great way to uh, keep learning what you need to learn. And sometimes documentation be can be kind of dry, especially like as a, as a new developer, you don't always know what exactly it is that you're looking for. And so being able to like, parse through documentation and figure out what's most important, but then also kind of like filling in the gaps of some of the things that you don't yet know or understand with YouTube videos or, you know, deeper dives into like, what does this one specific term mean? I don't know. Let's go find out. And plugging in some of those gaps is really helpful. I think uh, figuring out how you learn to, whether that be very hands-on, whether that be visually whether that be uh, with audio, getting lots of repetition in, it's super helpful to lean into whatever works best for your brain for learning. And I think perhaps even more important than digging into resources that are online is lean into community. I mean, I really can't say it enough, like build community. Like if you work with Ruby, like I work with Ruby, Build community within the Ruby community, connect to people online, get on Twitter, connect to tech Twitter, follow different people that work with the languages and, and the tech stack that you work with and join places like the virtual coffee and other really rad developer spaces that are meant to help you find the answers that you need and to maybe do it in a way that's a little less arduous because you're with people that are like, yes, happy helper. Like, how can I, how can I make things easier for you? It, it seems like a much easier way to go through tech when you can do it with others. And, and remember that there are human resources out there for you too. You also had mentioned that you were connecting with folks over, over Twitch. Could you yeah. talk more about that? Absolutely. Uh, so a friend of mine in my Epicotus cohort, she reached out to the director of developer relations that had done like a lunchtime chat with us at one point. And she was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I am so stressed out. I don't know if I can actually like finish the school and like, let alone finish school, but actually make it as a developer. And I have questions. Do you have some time for some answers? And he was like, yeah, do you want to actually do this online on Twitch? And how about you bring a couple friends and let's just ask lots of questions and I'm going to record it. And we're like, she reached out to me and another friend of mine. And um, here we are many months later, still answering questions online about how to get into tech and what 
even are some of these things that we're talking about, like technically, or, uh, you know, let, like, let's look at other roles, not outside of just developer or engineer that you can get into. So that has been an ongoing theme of how can I help others? How can I help provide community for people that, you know, might not have been as lucky as I have been to already have a pre-existing community, like with many of my friends and my partner that were in tech, like, how can I help create that advantage for others? And how can I help reach more people and help them understand what their options are and connect them to the people they need to know to get jobs? I think Code School Q&A, we are super, super excited about opening doors for people too, whether that be, you know, better knowledge, whether that be real human connection, like what's most important to us is just supporting people as they are making transitions into the industry, like, like we've been doing over the, this last year and a half. So what does uh, Code School Q&A look like? When you join, walk me through it. If I were to show up, what would I get? Absolutely. So there's generally four of us on the stream and, uh, you know, we, we ask a handful of questions, whether that be from our own experiences of like, okay, I'm a developer now and I've got some questions about like, you know, some of these transitions that I am experiencing, but we also lean into the audience as well, uh, and, and see what kind of questions they have, whether that be folks that are still in code school or folks that are thinking about, you know, maybe potentially going back to school, whether that be computer science in a university setting or boot camp or even self-taught people. And we even have, you know, a number of folks that are already in their careers too that are there to reach out in chat and provide additional feedback and support. So I really feel like it's a bunch of friends just getting together on Wednesdays and and that group of friends just keeps building and expanding. And, you know, it is very much like a support group, but it's also fun. Like, you know, our first question of the day is what are you drinking and how are you doing? Because we all hang out and chat and drink while we're talking about how to get into tech and, you know, definitely try to make it as fun as we can and crack jokes and interrupt one another. And it's, it's, you know, it's a good fun time, but helping people is what's most important. And this is all live, unedited. All live, unedited. Yes, yes. Yep. And, you know, 7 p.m.-ish, uh, AV is is a whole beast in and of itself. And uh, I, I just had to set up a Twitch stream for the first time in this whole time of streaming over the last year. I've been riding my princess pass and just shown up <laughs> for every Twitch stream. And now I know how much goes into that. And, you know, I still had probably another few hours of setup to like get past just a minimum viable product of we need to be online on the interwebs and you need to be able to hear and see me got there. But, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. Twitch is certainly interrupting the industry. I believe, especially since the pandemic, all of a sudden, everyone's on Twitch. We're doing conferences live. We're doing, like, how do you feel about the whole Twitch revolution? And how is it different from or how people traditionally came and connected in tech? Yeah, having been in events myself, like, I, you know, that was part of what my role was within hospitality. I personally really love 
that there's now this whole new opportunity for connection. And I think it also makes connection way more accessible because folks that were already like living some kind of quarantine life because of autoimmune disorders or disabilities or whatever that looks like, like couldn't easily make it to those conferences. And now they have a way to connect with those conferences because of hybrid events. I think it's a really rad innovation that we're seeing. And it's, it's a really wonderful way to even just as an introvert, I'm like, I don't have to leave my house to be able to like see my friends and have a good time. Yes. I am super interested in this. Like I can like, I over, yeah, like I can like hang out with my dog and give him scritches whenever I want and like still see my friends and build community within tech. Heck yes. Very interested in this. And I think like that accessibility feature that it provides. It's just, it's, it's really wonderful to know that more people can become a part of tech communities because there's now this like whole online outlet for folks that, you know, couldn't otherwise like afford a flight to get halfway across the country to make it to this conference or couldn't afford to get in the conference. There's, there's lots of ways that like, that just makes things more accessible. Do you think it's going to continue much beyond the pandemic? Like, do you think when it's all over, we're just going to be like, oh, we're back to conferences? Or do you think this is going to continue to the streaming and the live, like the Slack chats and the live Q&As and and things like that? Do you think that's going to continue? I hope so. Uh, And I think so. I think that even just from a business sense, I think like you can tap into whole new markets by having this addition of you know, hybrid events, like you can reach a whole new subset of markets. And I think, quite frankly, it'd be kind of foolish to not take advantage of the new ways that we've figured out that we can still have meaningful and authentic community. There's definitely a way to monetize that. And I'm sure plenty of people out there are doing it. But I think it's also given voice to people that couldn't previously access those spaces. And now they're like, don't take this away this is community. This is, you know, this is what I've built. And I think people are going to be willing to fight for that. And uh, I think that companies will see the business benefit of continuing to do both. So anthropology question then. (laughs) Great. How do you think this will affect us as a society of connecting more virtually instead of in person and that we're, we're significantly more isolated now than we were before too, in terms of in-person connection. Uh, How do you think that's going to affect us? One of the first things that comes to mind is infrastructure has to change. I think that like support for higher speed internet across the States, across the world has become much more of a priority that is striking to people, you know, especially like thinking about kids having to figure out how to do online school all of a sudden when COVID first hit, like some kids didn't have access to the internet, let alone a computer or a tablet or a phone that they could go to class and do their homework on. And so I think that we're going to be forced to make technology and the internet more accessible by building better infrastructure to support those things. And I think it's only a matter of time before there is better social support for getting technology in the hands of kids, especially, but getting them devices. Like I know there are a number of initiatives out there that are like 
giving small grants and stuff for people to be able to get computers or tablets or whatever. And I think that we're going to just keep seeing more of that. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed because it's super important to be able to keep connection moving and I think keep moving our society in the right direction. So do you have any concerns about that as well of how, I mean, you know, we all get plugged in and are affected in, in not so good ways too. On the flip side of that, where do you see things going? My partner is in InfoSec. He is a security person. So that's definitely my first thought. Like, how do we keep the things that are most important to us and that are now online? How do we keep those things secure and safe and protected? Figuring out how to fill the gaps that are inherent within the security industry right now of like, there's just not enough bodies to fill all the jobs and, and build all of the security that needs to be built and maintain those things. That's going to be a whole new ball game that tech has to figure out. And it's going to take a lot of manpower to make sure that we can protect people and protect the things that are most important to them. And even just protect those communities too. you know, make sure that those communities can continue to thrive and, and also like be carefully moderated and curated so that there is safety for people to interact, you know, like that there is less bullying happening online, that there is less hate crimes that are being perpetuated online, you know, creating safe spaces for people and providing agency for them online is a whole new ballgame when we're not even really that great at doing so in real life, you know, in person, there are a lot of groups that like are going to have to fight harder to be heard and to be seen and to feel safe. And I think that's just a, an ongoing, ongoing thing that we need to work at being better at. So we need ways to improve the connectivity community stuff. And then also need ways as we do those things to create safety in our communities. Absolutely. Yeah, we just had a really great discussion with Eva Penzi Mook about two episodes ago. Uh, she wrote the book Designing for Safety. Mm-hmm. And it was an excellent, excellent conversation about ways that as designers and engineers, we should be building our infrastructure safe from the beginning and not just going yeah. back and doing it after the fact, but realizing who the most vulnerable people are and protecting them from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's actually something that my company works really hard to do uh, while we're designing our curriculum products is designing from the most vulnerable within our communities and, and using that as a starting point for how we build things and how we continue to maintain them. Because if you can keep the folks that are most vulnerable in mind, you know, more people are actually going to be allowed to be safe and allowed to have agency and allowed to grow. And it's a far more inclusive space when, when we can think about the folks that don't always have access or don't always have safety, don't always have agency and, and designing with those people in mind first. And that's how we'll end up filling all these empty seats right now that are available in tech is by not alienating these people and designing a safe environment from the start and attracting people and different kind of people into tech because tech needs more diversity. Tech needs more diversity. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's like one of the reasons why I keep doing Code School Q&A is because I want to see more people that look like me in tech. I want to see more people that don't look like me in tech. I'm very excited to bring as many people to the table as possible because I think that's when we also get the most creative and innovative. That's when like when more tool sets are brought to the table, more diverse experiences are brought to the table. We build far more robust systems and products and, you know, things just get better when we have more differences from which to pull and, you know, more experiences from which to learn. As we said in the beginning, you're a fairly new developer. So I wanted to ask you the question, what was one thing you wish you knew that you know now that you would have known back then? If you could give Danielle (laughs) advice a year ago, what advice would that have been? I think that advice would have been to start actually working on technical things sooner to like start digging into the educational materials that were provided for me for free before I ever started school. I think that actually digging into those materials and having the courage to not just wait until I was like in a classroom setting to be able to interact with coding languages and and learning how to program, I would have had such a less fraught time getting through school and giving myself the opportunity to get a bit of a head start and more of a foundation before just diving in headfirst and hoping that I kept my head above water. But I think also like, again, leaning into community and not being afraid to ask for help, not being afraid to advocate for myself because it took me a good two and a half months before I really felt like I could speak up and say what I needed. And that's two months of time that I could have been getting more of what I needed and getting more help, learning faster and more efficiently and just being less miserable in, you know, the early stages of learning an entirely new skill set. So yeah, don't, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. I think especially as a woman coming into a technical space, there is like, you know, some extra fears of not looking like I could do this or, you know, not feeling like I belonged, not knowing what I was doing. But the thing to remember was that nobody knew what they were doing. We were all figuring it out together in that school program. And being the one to be like, hold up, this is not making any sense to me. Can we start this over again? Can we dig into what's happening here? And oftentimes other people are like, oh, I'm so so grateful you said something because I also don't know what's going on. Well, with that, I think that's an amazing thing to end on. And we can move over to reflections, which I can go and start off with right away, is that that's the secret. Like, nobody knows what we're doing in tech. (laughs) Nobody knows. No. (laughs) Nobody knows. Nobody knows. (laughs) That's the secret. Ask questions. Lean on your community. There are so many people out there. I know you, you mentioned, you know, tech Twitter, hashtag tech. Twitter, like there are so many nice, amazing people that will have your back if you just put those questions out there and even say, Hey, tech Twitter, like anybody free? Do you want a pair? They'll be like, Yeah, like let's hop on for an hour or two. And, you know, especially right now, is when people aren't really 
doing much <laughs> again, you know, people are out there. So again, it's a secret. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'm totally on board with your reflections for the day. Um, lean into community and, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. And I think it's so important to know that tech needs you, whoever you are, like tech needs you and whatever valuable skill set you bring to the table, whatever diverse experiences you bring to the table, it's needed. We need more people that aren't traditional, like in whatever that looks like, there is space and there is need for you. Uh, and I think, you know, come and ask your questions at Code School on Wednesdays. We, we meet generally every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific time. We are happy to answer your questions and help connect you to the people if we don't know answers, because, you know, none of us totally know the right answer most of the time. And how can people do that? What's the URL? Yeah, come visit us at twitch.tv slash the Jonan Show. Uh, we also have Code School Q&A is participating in Hacktoberfest too. So you can find us on GitHub by looking up the Hacktoberfest hashtag tag. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Code School QA as well. Awesome. I just wanted to add to that a little bit with lean into community. I was thinking about Mandy, when you were mentioning your story, when I was learning Electron, new technology, I didn't know I, I had this code base that I had to learn. I, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. I was frustrated. I couldn't get anything working. And then I tweeted and, you know, asked for someone to pair with me. And lo and behold, some random person from the internet was like, sure, I'd be happy to help. You know, let's, let's meet up and pair on this. And I managed to get over like the major hurdles I had with getting my environment set up and getting unstuck, figured out how to run the debugging tools. And all those things really happened as a consequence of not being afraid to to reach out. And even when you might feel like, you know, you're struggling with these things alone, there really is a community out there and people that are willing to jump in and help. And I think that's really great, cool thing. All right. Well, with that, I think we're pretty set to wrap up. If you want to join us, we are in Slack. Danielle will receive an invitation to join us as well in our, in our Slack community. It is a Patreon where you can pledge to support us monetarily on a monthly basis. However, if you're not comfortable with that or do not want to, you can DM any one of the panelists and we will get you in there for free. So with that, I want to thank you, Danielle, for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me for a great conversation. Awesome. And we'll see everyone next week. Bye.